Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. I want to throw a curveball and start with this statement, kids are gross, Logan may have pinworms. Really? We don't know. We don't I don't know, know what pinworms are. Something's but... going on. John just learned what pinworms are or five minutes ago when I told him because I had them in middle school and it was like the most horrifically scarring experience of my life. And so I've I'm never just... had them, but they're, I guess they're worms around the butthole. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Kristen, are they microscopic? Kristen, uh, what's your face? Jackson, Kristen. She, she talked about that one time about her kids had them on some podcast. Oh my God. Are they microscopic? No, you can see them. Oh my gosh. But they're very contagious. Very contagious. Oh my gosh. I'm just like itchy hearing this. Wait, so people who who don't know who are listening to this, John, are they going to wonder who the hell these other two voices are on your podcast? I I, I would think they know who your voice, Vanessa. So we have a special show for you today. Uh, I'm here with um, Vanessa, my partner. You know, I, I, uh, you prefer per- partner, correct? That's what I say. Yeah. And you girlfriend know, when it feels I, like, I feel a little too old to be somebody's girlfriend. Yeah. Girlfriend feels high school. You're, you're technically, we're not technically not married. I'm your baby um, mama. Well, you could say that too, I guess. That's right. Well, par- I, I think because people use partner a lot when they're gay, I, when I use partner, I think a lot of times people, if they've never seen you, they just assume I'm, I'm gay. Um, maybe, maybe people your age or older, but. <laughs> I don't think the younger people think that because we don't you just call us old. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We have a special guest tonight, Danae. Miss Danae Logan. Woo woo. I guess. I just I Danae, I just see her with one name. She's like, like sure. I don't, I never think about her last name. I just Sorry. call her. She's yeah, like a I one name person. I don't know what my last name is gonna be post-divorce. I'm like, I think I'm gonna be Prince. I think I'm gonna like Prince sure. did like, just... develop a symbol for my last name I don't yeah know. i see you like a prince or like sting just one name danae yeah i like it and um danae is a good friend of ours also does a lot of couples work um danae and vanessa went to therapy school together and man what else can we say about you Aww. danae speaks the language you know that's kind of the i always feel like um people who i know i could just um have a great conversation with no matter what um they just they speak the language so i you know i know a few people like that in my life and, and you're one of them danae is the yin to my yang and usually <laughs> sees things from your perspective so she's always really good to talk to whenever i talk about <laughs> things with us because her and you are very similar <laughs> i'm totally not that girlfriend bestie that's like yeah screw him i'm like i don't know i kind of see where he's coming from always <laughs> it's so annoying it's um, what i need actually <laughs> I mean, I think it depends on when um, in Vanessa and I's relationship um, you want to respond to, because in the early days, when I was <laughs> once, like, yeah, I, I, I know there was some, uh, fuck that guy, Yeah, well, which is fair. Which is fair. I mean, I'm still her ride or die, but a lot of times <laughs> I do, I do see where you're coming from. It's all in the book. Um, we're going to talk about circles and lines today. Mm. <laughs> we're going to talk about circles and lines. That's such a John Kim thing to say. We're going to talk about circles and lines tonight. Just bring it back to the basics. Uh, so yeah, so, um, relationships, mm. circles and lines, uh, m- masculine, feminine energy, correct? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like masculine and feminine energetics have become a little bit the obsession of my life. And it's fascinating because Vanessa and I went to school studying depth psychology. And I don't know if you felt this way, V, but like, I don't remember feeling like it was that interesting when we were in school. Like we learned about the anima and the animus, which is sort of Carl Jung's way of describing these energetics. And basically that all of us have both masculine and feminine energetics within us. Um, And, you know, a lot of times what we speak about is that the terms masculine and feminine can be a little bit polarizing, a little bit challenging. They carry a lot of connotations. So there's a lot of ways to speak to these polarities. You can say sun, moon, yin, yang. Um, 
soul ego what else moon circular, sun, and linear. circular and linear um but basically and wait, really quick what i will say about it not being as interesting in school is peanut butter chocolate was, i think it was the first <laughs> time we were at least for me but i'm pretty sure for you too i think it was the first time we were ever really truly introduced to these concepts mm-hmm. and i know for me a lot of our stuff at pacifica the stuff that was brand new for me it wasn't that it wasn't necessarily interesting it was almost like it was so hard to grasp at first mm until I had like a felt experience or an experience of working with these concepts with clients. And then they like clicked and just changed in my mind in a different way. And so like, for example, I can read like Jung or Hillman now, and I'll read the same thing that we read in school. And it's completely different when I read it now, because I just have such a different understanding. So I don't know about you, but that to me felt like the whole anima animus thing. Like it was almost just over my head. Um, And now I just feel like it's part of like what we live and breathe. <laughs> yeah. And what yeah. we're seeing a lot of times when yes. we're working with couples and in like the difficulty meeting with one another without a lot of polarity. And so I think you're right. It, it does feel really different when you're in the felt experience of these. And things. here's what I will say, talking, just diving right into the linear and the circular, since the two of you tend to be very circular. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's I, first talk about what circular means. Well, no, li- we're going to, means. we're going to. Okay. You guys are both very circular by nature. And it's not to say that we don't dip into the other realm, right? And I tend to be very linear by nature. And I think Danae and I have had lots of conversations about this topic, particularly because um, I find it to be very helpful as well. I find that I'm working around, you know, these topics with clients as well. But I've, I feel like every time Danae and I talk, I've constantly pushed you to make it more linear, because your way of understanding it is really hard for somebody like me to understand it. And I think that's just a really good lead in when we talk about like linear and circular, it's like you tend to be more right-brained. I think there's more creativity. I think it can be um, ethereal, like out of the body experience, right? Um, And I'm, when we talk about linear, it's like of this earth grounded. I'm also very Taurian, like I'm a Taurus by nature. So there's a lot of groundedness, earth energy, um, left brain, logical. And we could get into like upbringing, which obviously has a play in that too. But um, I don't know if that, how do you feel about that kind of introductory definition, John? Well, let's put a bookmark there real quick. And then I want to know, Danae. Yes. What was the big drop? Why did you get obsessed with masculine, feminine energy? You know, it's funny. I feel like when my marriage ended almost three years ago, um, I just started to become a little bit obsessed with understanding. I mean, I'd already been doing a lot of couples work, a lot of therapists. I, I feel like couples work is sort of polarizing and that people either love working with couples or they just like will not work with couples. They don't like it. I love working with couples. I've always found the interplay between people and relational dynamics fascinating to sort of, you know, and to the point that V's making, a lot of it just felt like really intuitive to me. Like I felt like I could sort of speak to what the other person was feeling in a way that the other person could hear it. And I just, I felt like it was always really natural for me. And then when my marriage ended um, and changed form, I realized that I was curious about some of the dynamics that happened in my marriage that I didn't have a way to articulate, Mm. but that I was seeing consistently unfolding for couples, right? Um, And what's interesting about what Vanessa's saying about these dynamics is there are ways that all of us, well, let's start with the baseline. All of us have both... um, masculine and feminine energetics within us. And I'll get into why I really struggle with like completely releasing the terms masculine and feminine altogether. But all of us have these energetics within us, but they present in different ways in different areas of our lives. So for example, I feel like I always use Vanessa and I as an example of what masculine and feminine in like two people of the same gender can look like because Mm -hmm. Vanessa is- When you say couples, you mean always like heteronormative, male and female, right? Men and women, and that's just not the case. Like we see this in in all couples, even friendship couples. (laughs) Absolutely. There will often be polarity. And a lot of times we are attracted to people initially based on like our opposite energetically, the polar opposite of me, right? That it's almost like that person sort of completes me. Now, that being said, I do think that a lot of times we can be a certain part of this polarity in one aspect of our lives and very different in another aspect of our lives. Meaning I think Vanessa is sort of a more core 
um, linear masculine sun energy in most areas of her life. But I sort of stand by the idea that when it comes to like relationally, what turns you on, where your arousal points are, yep. tend to be a more core feminine, right? Yeah. And yeah. so that's that's where I'm, I'm writing this down. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll get into it, I'm sure. If somebody say arousal, but that's that's why a lot of times these dynamics can be complicated. But then again, the circular part of me is like, yeah, we can call them complicated complicated if we want to put a label on them or we can just say like these energetics are alive there's something for us to play with there's something for us to be curious about like when am i in my linear masculine energy and when am i more in my feminine right like we talk about a lot of times motherhood is a very sort of masculine way of being you wouldn't think that you think oh it's nurturing but it's very right. task it's very like i got to handle Especially this. when gotta... kids are small right like it's all about the do 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 the go 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 the checklist organizing it's very masculine so that being said a lot of times when i'm sitting with couples what i'm helping them understand is like especially in the early stages of parenthood it is very challenging for like let's speak heteronormatively for a minute it's very challenging for a man to have a space in a woman in a relationship with a woman when she is so deep in her masculine, right? And so what used to be like, well, let's take it back to like, you know, historically, like way back, women would have babies and they would be surrounded collectively by the community, the other women. Other men women. would not be there. They would be off hunting. I don't know what men yeah. were doing, but they weren't there helping support raise the child. But in our sort of individualistic nuclear family system that we've sort of evolved, I would say. Uh, are you yeah. better or worse <laughs> right yeah. um we have men there that are sort of like whoa not only do i feel like helpless without anything to do here my partner is not the same energetic dynamic of what i have known her to be she is like you know it's almost like we're fighting it out to be the alpha in this situation right mm -hmm. so understanding this is what's happening and this is why what I sort of will tend to do with couples is say, okay, well, yes, but like what you need to do is support her in how she can drop back into that feminine, that circular, that softening energy with you, because it can feel a little bit like shock to the system to go from like my role as a mother in that linear energy into all of a sudden I'm supposed to be like deeply in my feminine and receptive and all of those things that it just doesn't like, switch that that easily back and forth does that make sense you, you, yeah. you know what i'm smelling is this is an intervention for me you guys got <laughs> together no you i already see it there's you're talking about erogenous zones how to please her you're talking about are we talking how, about erogenous zones i think you're talking about i'm like i think that's what you heard or said erogenous zones you you're talking about how i can be to encourage and grow her feminine energy um are you guys going to pull out letters and tell well, me you I love think me? You, you, you take notes all you want. This is not an intervention, but I do think that this will be very helpful because these conversations that Danae and I have had over the past, like, I don't know, eight months or a year or whatever, as we've gotten deeper and deeper, it have been really enlightening for me personally, but also then to turn around and use in my work, right. With couples and just even with individual clients who are in any so, kind of relationship. Let me ask you, do you think um, I'm masculine or feminine? So I guess it depends on what area of my life, right? So right. like my, my work life, I am what masculine or feminine? In your work life, I would say you are feminine, circular, mm -hmm. like really sort Creative. of like in your moon, like spiritual, like all soul. Like when I think of you, I think of that energy in the work that you do. And then what about in relationships, Vanessa, personal, like uh, intimate relationships? Would it be more masculine or feminine? I think you tend to show up as more of that circular energy. I think, I think oh, you, feminine. you, it's easier for you. It's not that you show up that way all the time. I think it's an easier realm for you to be in because it's more of, I think it is more of your nature. Like, I think it's, again, it's like creativity. It's, um, it's that ethereal kind of not of this earth kind of energy that I think lends itself to like, oh, it's easier for me to embody this space. And then I am the opposite. Like it's easier for me to embody more of that masculine quality. But see, that's where I'm going to push back as, <laughs> as someone who knows the two of you. I think when it comes to relationally, that becomes a little bit more about like our societal conditioning and right. ways that yeah. like maybe Vanessa in her life and who she's had to be um, has had to take on that more like task, handle it. I got this avoidant role. Right. Um, and we will inevitably create polarity in our relationships, even if it's from our like more wounded spaces. So mm -hmm. if you're, and this is not to put this on you, B, but like, this is just like the way that our 
instinctual polarities come to the surface. If I'm as a woman, like in my masculine, in my polarity with my man, he will inevitably be more in that like feminine circular energy with me. Now tell the earring story, because I think that's a really good example to me of your core energetic coming to the surface. Right. And of John stepping into the masculine energy, right? So and without even knowing it, like, that's the thing. I mean, this right. is the thing that's so interesting about these, these qualities is that we do kind of, they can be fluid. Like we can kind of move in and out of them. Um, so this is actually in the book as well, but there, there's a story that I tell a lot about John and I years ago, pre-kid, um, I was getting ready for sessions. I had a bunch of clients back to back and I was running late. And of course, like worst timing ever, one of my earrings fell out of my ear and went down the sink. And I'm like, you know, jumping around, stomping my feet like a two-year-old, like fuck, 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 kind of thing. <laughs> and John comes running up the stairs like, what happened? Thinking I killed myself. Um, and I just told him, I like put a towel over the sink and I was like, leave it there. I'll, you know, when I have time between clients, I'll take the sink apart. I'll get it out, whatever. I don't have time to deal with it right now. And so I just left. So I go to see, I go to see clients or whatever. And at some point well, you said it was a special earring, which is what channeled you know, my, my inner Mr. Miyagi. It wasn't you, you just left an earring. It was like a, mm -hmm. something from your grandmother. I remember there was some, something important about that earring. I mean, I liked it. It was an earring. I liked, oh, I don't, so I don't know you, if okay. it was like in that important. I just think like, it was just, it was an earring. I liked, I mean, it, it okay. you know, and so I you just lied. said, I think you made that part up, but okay. It so. just makes a better story. Just go with it. Your great grandmother <laughs> gave it to you. It got passed down. I opened that shit with chopsticks because we didn't have any kind of wrenches. Well, but that's the better part of the story is that while I was in my sessions at some point without me knowing, you know, you not only did you find it, but like we didn't have, right. We needed a very specific kind of wrench. And so we didn't have it. You went to the drug, uh, the drugstore, the uh, hardware store, you got this wrench, you came back, you undid it, you found the earring. And here's the kicker for me, which most people laugh at is like, not only did you do all that, but then you cleaned everything up and put it back the way that it was. So that there was like, it didn't even, it didn't even look like anything had happened. And then when I came down, the earring was just there. And that moment for me was like a really profound moment of feeling like very taken care of by my partner. Um, and one that I can probably only count on like one hand that I've ever, not with you, John, but I think like across the board with other partners, like have only experienced a handful of times. So that was masculine energy. Yeah. And what right. I love that you said is that hearing something in or seeing Vanessa in this level of distress sort of awakened or aroused some part of you that turned on your inner, what I would say is your core way of being relationally with Vanessa. And to both of you, it felt instinctual. It felt good. It felt like this is um, and Vanessa, like, I remember her being like super turned on, super like, oh my God, listen to what John did and it being like a big moment. But that to me is always my evidence that like, yeah, in a lot of ways, Vanessa is a, a very linear energy, but when it comes to like the polarity in relationships, I think what she's hungry for and her core is actually more core feminine, core circular. Here's what's interesting about the story. Um, I didn't get credit for it until years later. I didn't even know that's how she felt <laughs> until... Um, I don't even know how I found out because because she came out like, oh, like like her usual calm, you know, um, hiding everything inside. No big deal. And then but then with her friends, she kind of, you know, um, talked about it and, and how she felt about it. And I had no idea until like last year or something. I, I didn't know until recently that what that meant to her. Yeah. And I think that's an important point because there's a lot of like, and I guess you could speak to that V, but there's a lot of like, it's a vulnerable thing to allow ourselves to drop into that space of being hungry to soften, being hungry to be held. And, you know, so many of us is, of. yeah, as women, especially, um, you know, Vanessa and I talk a lot about as much as the feminist movement did so many amazing things for us as women. Um, we were also raised by a generation of mothers that taught us like, do not depend on anybody, take care of yourself, you know, don't be needy, don't like, you know, all of these things that a lot, in a lot of ways were conditioning us to reject our inner feminine, right? Um, being receptive, being open-hearted and allowing and um, trusting and um, just, you know, not needing to control, not needing to like, I'll do it myself, all of that energy. 
it's hard to allow ourselves to go there. And yeah, there's a lot of shame around it. You know, it's like, not only does it not feel safe, but it's actually felt it's, it's shameful. I mean, that's part of how we were raised and not just women. I mean, men too, right? Like we are raised to believe that every quality of the feminine is something to be embarrassed of, belittled, cut off entirely. It's weak. It's less than right. And so anytime I think, and it's very unconscious because it's so deep in us that we allow ourselves into that space for many people, there is shame that's attached to that feeling almost immediately. Um, and so that is a big part of tackling this is that you have to really pay attention to kind of like that unconscious wiring and notice those feelings of shame in order to really get past them. Because if I really do want to be able to embrace and step into more feminine energy, the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I work with the kind of shame and the story I have around Mm. that, you know? I can't well, like you know muscle my way so through it. You know what's interesting? So in that case, um, because you didn't show your cards or you you didn't you know express to me what that meant to you, um, you didn't hit the ball back. So I uh, and I wasn't even aware that I was being quote unquote um, uh, exuding masculine energy. Mm. But you went to your friends instead of me, so you kind of turned the faucet off. So it didn't um, encourage me to be more masculine. I just feel like, oh, that was something that needed to be done. It was a check off a list, you know? But I think this happens a lot. And this is what I'm talking about with the shame around the feminine, right? So I was working with a couple recently where I, I saw very similar dynamics where when prodded, she would say things about her partner, like, you know, certain things that she, like certain qualities or like how amazing he was at this or like how she felt when he was able to like step up and do X, Y, and Z. But it took me prodding her to get her to verbalize and admit that openly because she was so guarded against like going there um, emotionally, energetically, even like giving him that, like it was so hard for her to get into a space of just, I don't know, commending him, softening, uh, allowing, you know, him to even step up and in any way attempt to take care of her, uh, that it was, it it still is, I think one of the biggest issues they have in their relationship. And again, shame. And that's what's so challenging is, you know, this conditioning is so deep that we are, we are taught to think these things are like weakness. We should feel shame about our longing to like Vanessa and I talk about this all the time. What is the percentage? Like some huge percentage of like every woman's like fantasy when like sexual fantasy, when they've been surveyed is to be ravaged. Ravaged. I mean, they say it's like the rape fantasy, but to be a little bit, it's like, it's the ravaged fantasy, right? I mean, it's like 80%. It's really high. Something very large, but we're not allowed to like, we are so conditioned to not say that, to say like, I want a man to take control. I want him to take the lead a little bit. Um, But that is like some of these things that are not politically correct to say are instinctual. They're primal, they're longings that like whether we say them or not that's the truth of how we feel when i first met vanessa uh and we were exploring um each other and bodies um because i'm i i'm a little kinky i asked her um hey um can i can i slap you a little bit and she says if you slap me i will slap you back (laughs) and shut that shit down instantly (laughs) <laughs> hey, but listen, seriously. Well, but that, we're not uh, talking about it, being slapped. We're talking about being taken. There's a difference. Yes, yes, but but um, it wasn't the slap was the slap is playful and it's it's more of role playing. It's not like slapping, slapping. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, I still stand by that. <laughs> well, no, it's 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 not your thing. I get it. I get it. But I think it, so. Here's what's interesting: in the bedroom, you you are all feminine energy. Mm. Not, I mean, not all, but yeah, I go there much easier. And I've actually and then, talked about this since I was young. I've talked about the fact, like I've had friends sit around brunch, you know, in like our early twenties talking all these women who are like, we're on the corporate ladder path. You know, we're all like successful. We've all got our own apartments in New York. Like we're doing our thing. And I would say almost every one of us is like, and when I'm in the bedroom, like I don't want to be in control. It's like, I'm in control all the fucking time. The last place that I want to be in control is in the bedroom. But the problem is for women, unfortunately, there's, there's a fine, this is like a whole other tangent, which we probably don't go down, but like, there's a, there's an issue with that too, because you've got to be able to say, I don't want to be in control. And also I have to speak up for my needs. I have to be able to speak up and say what I want and what I want you to do and how I'd like to be pleasured. 
And at the same time, I don't want to be in the lead. So that personally, but also I know friends of mine have always struggled with like, what's the line in there too. So. But well, in the bedroom, you're that. And then outside the bedroom, like um, just, you know, uh, other parts of your life, you, 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 you exude more of the masculine energy. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying today is that's, that's common. Like you see that happen a lot. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's challenging because I think that it shouldn't just be in the bedroom, right? right? Like it shouldn't, right? But like, I think it creates actually a lot of relational challenges, dissatisfaction, a lot of like resentment that I find comes up when um, when our core dynamic of who we actually are, if we say that like, Vanessa, you are the core feminine and John, you are the core masculine with one another, um, if, if it's only showing up in the bedroom, there will be resentment, I find, on Vanessa's part. There will be uh, a little bit of John feeling like I, I don't want to sort of like be fighting it out to be the alpha with my partner all the time um, is the, and then it just, it, it ends up leading to a little bit of like, um, like that roommate energy or that like, you know, like the sexual polarity, there's reasons that we have initial attraction to someone. It's a little bit the other that I was talking about, like even in our friendships, but if yeah. we get too out of sync with what is like our, our, you know, core way of being, we start to feel out of alignment, if that makes sense. So wouldn't the prescri- prescription be that, um, if you if you are I'm just using Vanessa as the example, if, if she's feminine in the bedroom and the masculine outside the bedroom, wouldn't her uh, prescription be to see if she can be more feminine outside the bedroom where, where it's scary and she's not used to? Um, and then if she doesn't, but she stays like this, doesn't it then um, constrict her, stunt her growth, doesn't, doesn't expand her? Well, my premise is that all of us need to take responsibility for integrating our inner masculine and feminine. And that is what we talk about as, as what interdependence looks like, right? So I am um, my healthy feminine energy as well as my healthy masculine energy. So I'm not looking for this other person to complete those energetic dynamics within me. So then I can just be like really present with my partner. And when I start to feel myself in this space of like, I'm going to use like, you know, us as women and what I had show up, it just, this is not me like bagging on Vanessa because I did the same thing in my marriage. But um, when I'm so in my wounded masculine energy, I stay present with myself, right? And I like check in with like, what is the story I'm telling myself about my partner right now? And I, I do exactly what John said. I like try to like figure out how I get in that healthy feminine energy. Um, But it's, to me, interdependence is sort of like seeing where I am on the emotional scale of these energetics so that I can get myself back into a healthier place so that I'm able to be present with my partner. And then I find with couples that inevitably, like say Vanessa moves into her healthy feminine, you won't even, like she won't even have to talk to you about it. If she just like is in a wounded masculine energy and she starts to meet you a little bit more vulnerably, or she starts to just like be a little bit more compassionate about like how things are feeling for you in this moment versus being stuck in her resentment, John will inevitably start to shift into healthy masculine within himself. That's just like, I don't know why it works so well, but I mean, obviously because we just create natural polarity, but that's just what happens. So So I'll give a really good example, right? So um, I came out of a session a few weeks ago, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. Um, It was a really tough session, uh, like emotionally taxing for me. I had a really just, I had just a really hard time with it. And I came out of this session and I felt a little bit like I'd come out of a war (laughs) and John was sitting on the couch and, um, you know, I started talking about it and I was, I was just like really worked up and I started to cry. I mean, a little bit like an emotional release, I think too, because, you know, for those listening, like as a therapist, I mean, you know, we're, we're holding, we are holding so much that it's hard for us too, right? I mean, we're human. And, and I think sometimes there is a little bit of a release valve that has to be, you know, kind of triggered or whatever tripped. So anyway, I started, I just started to cry and I was just like really worked up about this session. And, you know, I think that usually our dynamic, and I think it goes both ways. I think both John and I get into like a fix it space, not Mm. just John and I, I think this is normal for a lot of people, right? We want to fix it for the person because we don't want them to feel bad. And so we all naturally go into this place of like, fix it, fix it, fix it. Right. Instead of just like being there and holding space, um, and reverence for what's happening. But in that specific moment, 
John did not go into fix it mode at all. He just kind of like called me over with his hands and I literally like curled up into his lap like a baby. I'm not like sitting on his lap, but like curled up and he just held me and I cried. And that was it. He didn't say anything. Mm. And it was, it, it, that to me is a really good example of like in that moment, I, and I also felt safe enough to go there because he felt safe for mm. me to go there. Right. Like there was a, there was an interplay between the two of us that was going on because the reason why that example came up to me or for me is because I can already hear, especially women, I can already hear people out there going, yeah, but how can I get into my feminine if, right? And this is obviously that whole interdependence conversation today, which we can continue to have, but like, how can I go there? How can I soften? How can I be vulnerable if I don't trust my partner to hold me? If I don't trust my partner to be there, to catch me, whatever. Um, and I guess what I'm saying is that moment was a really eye-opening experience of like, oh, there is, um, there is a connection. There's a dance at play to this, at least for me. I noticed the dance made it feel easier to soften. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. You didn't tell me this. You didn't tell <laughs> Would me you then. start you communicating with again. your partner, Vanessa? <laughs> you gotta tell me. I have so many coins I need to collect. <laughs> John. So <laughs> we're not I, keeping I mean, score. I remember vaguely, but I didn't know that she felt this way. Hmm. Um, which is valuable information for me. But that's an important note for you, my love, Vanessa, because a little bit like healthy feminine energy is sort of um, that connecting. Like, so John is witnessing and that is a little bit of like him and his healthy masculine, but then the the connecting, the receiving of that. And like, this feels good when you do this, just like you and your healthy feminine. But I think Vanessa made a really important point that so often what we hear with couples is like, but I can't until he, or like yeah. if this person doesn't, whatever. And what I say so often to couples is like, somebody's got to go first. Nobody wants to go first, but each of us can only take responsibility for my hundred percent. As long as I'm pointing the finger at my partner saying, I can't change until that person does we're at a standoff. So I'm like, no part of me is ever diminished by being the one to go first. I'll go first. Right. And somebody has got to do that, but a little bit, it's like, that's the interdependence piece, right. Instead of sort of saying, I need my partner to be something in order for me to be able to create change between us. It's like, no, I'm going to take my own personal responsibility for how I want to show up in this dynamic between us. You know what um, that remind reminds me of the the image Vanessa of uh, um, you crying and me and me holding you is um, when we uh, lost our baby. So before Logan, and then we were in the hospital room and we found out that we lost the, the our, our baby. I I broke down and I was like sobbing, and you actually i think you you helped me and i, I don't think you were um the it was it was surprising to me because you weren't really emotional i was uh, you you told me you were more angry hmm. yeah i mean that's again like and i wonder if that was flipped <clears throat> with the uh, masculine feminine. i mean that's a whole other probably conversation only in the fact that like i compartmentalize really well and i am really good in crisis and i'm able to shut things off when necessary to get through crisis. And so uh, for me, I think anger, well, actually not just for me, I think for a lot of people, anger is easier and safer to access. And so I can go to rage and anger mm. really easily, but I can't, it's hard for me to go to like pain and grief. So, you know, but I mean, look, there was a, there was a, um, an interesting balance for the two of us in that moment too, right? Because I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Danae, but it, it does to me seem like it would be really difficult if both people went immediately to like cut off at the knees grief. Like, I don't. Yeah, but we were in a hospital room safe. Well, but, and here's the thing like, I think that this is an example of what is beautiful about why these energetics aren't static because there will right. be moments like right. John is giving an example of him in his healthy feminine, right? right. And you created polarity by holding space for your partner. And that's beautiful. It's like these energetics aren't like, because you're a core masculine, you right. always- Or there's something wrong with you that you you embodied that quality in that moment. In that like, moment, no. Yeah. And, and they should move. They should sort of be fluid, but also um, we got to see where we are. If this is a moment when John is in his- healthy feminine, a little, I kind of agree with Vanessa here. Like if you are like deep in your like feminine as well, like 
it's 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 a little problematic. Like someone's got to hold it down. You know what I mean? Like it does feel like maybe unspoken. There is like an energetic exchange where it's just kind of like somebody knows that they need to be the container and somebody knows that because there's the container, the other person can kind of release. And then at a different time, it would switch. So if two people are um, pulling from feminine energy, it's almost like a flipped magnet. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 the, 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 the dance goes off, like the ebb and flow, the um, right. Okay. It becomes more um, oil and water than um, peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah. I think it's just like, it's so instinctual, which is what's fascinating to me about these dynamics. We just create it. Right. So like the example I give often because I'm a woman is that like we as women have been so conditioned to be in our wounded masculine, but I think there's a lot of ways that men have been conditioned to be in their wounded feminine, not just in response to us, but also, you know, in response to attempting not to be some of the like misogynistic, um, negative aspects of the masculine that like men who have any sort of awareness of that are trying not to be with their partners. Um, but it's, it can be tough, right? Like what does healthy masculine energy look like a lot of times for men? When when you say wounded feminine and wounded masculine explain, what do you mean by that? So, so like give street, uh, street level examples. So if I say, uh, just, you know, just for people listening, Mm -hmm. um, if, if I'm in my wounded feminine, what would be some um, examples of that as far as behavior or? Yeah. So our, wound, our wounded feminine energy is like the people pleasing, the manipulative, inauthentic. We're like mm. chasing love. We're desperate. We're irrational. We're needy. Like all of those qualities, um, insecure, like all of that is like when we're in like wounded feminine, we're just like, we're sort of like attempting to grasp onto something else for a sense of security. And, and like, again, pause because that goes both genders, right? Like when you think of all those lists of qualities, like you can totally hear and that that's not gendered, like either. Yeah, I I agree with what Danae said in the beginning. Um, The term masculine and feminine isn't really, it it throws us off. It's not accurate to what we're talking about. And And this is why it's like, I find it really challenging because what I see with couples so often, again, heteronormative couples, is that what is presenting is women deep in their wounded masculine, men deep in their wounded feminine and that's really hard for my male clients to hear a lot of times right because every- yeah because i mean because what's been programmed and baked in is when you say feminine feminine is bad we instantly think um you know submissive weak all the labels with that the, and then when well, you say masculine we think lots of well, with masculine, we think of lots of testosterone yeah. and, you know, and this but- is why John, we always say like the patriarchy hurts both men and women. Yeah. It's not just women that suffer. It's men too, because you're, you're hundred percent. Like you hit the nail on the head when we hear feminine. That's why I think what Danae's saying is so powerful. It's like so many male clients have a hard time hearing about their wounded feminine because of that conditioning that we have in this patriarchal society we live in. Yeah, and but also I think women would uh, a lot of women are, have struggle a struggle with hearing the mas- they're, that they're masculine. I, I find not as much not because as, much. as a society we have been conditioned to revere to the masculine as sure. like strong as yep. like you know right, right. but. The thing about men and embracing their feminine, this is a little bit why I struggle with like, let's just get rid of the terms masculine and feminine. We have to sort of hold like the injury there. Mm -hmm. And when men are, you know, it's, we can't just like disregard our, our wounded feminine. There are elements of the healthy feminine that are so like the feminine is the energy that connects, that is loving, that is heart centered, that is authentic, the healthy feminine, it's compassionate, it's sensual. Like if men can't access those elements of themselves, Mm -hmm. they are not whole people. And that's a problem, right? Like that we teach men, like you don't get to feel, you don't get to have emotions. You have to just like be in this stoic cut off from your feeling space, which we teach little boys so early, right? Like suck it up, be a man, don't feel that. And, and so men feel like the only um, elements of like feeling that I am allowed to have access to are anger and sex. And that is not a whole human being, but it's a lot of times why men are so, you know, the like constant narrative we always talk about is men complaining about their woman, not wanting to have sex with them. But it's, it's like, that is the only access point I have to feeling a lot of times I find for Mm -hmm. men. And so 
you know, the woman feels like this isn't actually about me. This is about you needing to feel something, but I could be anything. I'm just like a pacifier for you in this moment. And so she feels resentful, right? Because healthy feminine energy can't actually feel into sex and um, arousal unless it is like deeply connected and present and, you know, feeling like you're actually seeing me. The healthy feminine wants to be witnessed, wants to be seen. But if my man just wants to have sex because that's the only outlet he has for feeling, I'm going to feel a lot of resentment about that. Sure. What What are two words? Maybe we could think of something in this room. I don't know if um, it will go beyond this room, but uh, that, that we could exchange for masculine and feminine. Well, but I think, I mean, I think linear and circular is, are probably the the terms that Danae would use, but I think, but I'm mm. kind of with Danae in, yeah, we can use linear and circular, but I think in using those terms, we are kind of playing into exactly the point that we're making, which is the dismissal of the feminine. But John's reaction is to me, a lot of times what that feels what like for feel? men, but I, I guess I want to hear from you. Like, what does that bring up for you to think about you being in wounded feminine, John? Well, if you, if, if, if we want this conversation to be something that is had in say locker rooms, which mm -hmm. we're very far away from, yes. um, you have to go into it like a Trojan horse. You can't, mm -hmm. You, because it's just too baked in like our friend Nico um, said the same thing actually he was arguing for the circular linear and this was the same conversation he was having he's like I get it and it's this whole Trojan horse thing like you gotta like pl play the game almost I have, so a, I, have I have a lot of um quote-unquote masculine or um I don't know I don't know how to label them other than you know they lift weights they ride motorcycles all that kind of stuff right those kind of um men friends and so if I was to sit down and say, hey, let's talk about your wounded masculine feminine. energy and feminine energy and, you know, um, the wounded feminine in you, I, they would they would just they would. They, what are you talking about? I, they, they wouldn't um, be curious about that. If I said, hey, let's talk about the parts of you that are uh, uh, circular and um, linear. linear and let me explain. Yeah. That actually would probably perk their ears up. I just think it's just a more interesting, fresh way in without labels. And I think labels are what get people to not have any of these conversations. Push yeah. push this away. I think you're right. Especially and I think, I think what I have found with men can be really helpful is saying, you know, instead of feminine, saying the feeling aspects of you, the emotional aspects of you, um, mm. and with like masculine, like the intellectual the or thinking. sort of like, yeah, and sort of like the, the rational doing... Yeah, Logic, structural right? um, with the feminine, sometimes saying like the soul, like, or the spiritual. Um, and, and when I think of like John, like I think of you are very like rooted in soul energy and like just like intuitive moving, like you don't overthink things. You're not like, I'm just going to go with it. That's like what would be considered like really healthy feminine energy. But I think it can feel more accessible to a man sometimes to say like, no, you just sort of move from your soul. You're just like really sort of intuitive in the way you approach things um, versus like rooted in structure or like the ego can feel. Yeah. So here's a good example, just in real time. You know, when Danae says to me, oh yeah, you um, pull a lot from your soul. To me, that's a compliment. And I um, have no problem announcing that. <laughs> If she says to me, oh, yeah, you exercise your feminine energy well, um, I would keep that a secret. God, yeah. I hate that. That makes me so I hate mad. it, too. But I'm saying it's not it. We can't change that. I mean, we can start to change. I mean, we that, can. You know? We can eventually. I mean, and well, I think not, what not, you're saying, not John. Like we we no, can't change I, that for I think the Trojan horse conversation. conversation that you're saying, I think that is the way in. I mean, I think we do change the conversation by the Trojan horse. And then you start to become more comfortable with embracing these qualities, embodying these qualities, strengthening these qualities. And then what ends up happening is eventually like you are more in your healthy feminine. And then once you're in your healthy feminine, guess what we can have conversations about? And it's not going to freak you out the healthy feminine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think it's a very different conversation for me to have a conversation with how do I say this? I think there are certain things that I can say as a woman to other women in a way that it's going to be heard. And there are things that John can say to a man in a way that like sure. Vanessa and I talk a lot about like how Connor Beaton was speaking to the fact that your woman does not want to validate your emotions for you. And it is something that like I felt so deeply in my marriage and in my relationships. And 
I can't say that to a man, but a man saying that to a man and like, I can't tell you the number of male clients I have sent that video of him speaking to that to that they've been like, I get it. Okay, okay. Explain that though, because somebody who hasn't seen that video, because they, even I had a really hard time with that. Like when you first were like, oh, you know, this is what he's saying. And I hadn't watched it yet. I was like, I don't understand that. What do you mean a woman doesn't want to validate their partner's emotions? Like that sounds horrible. But then, then you helped me understand it in a way that I was like, oh, I see what he's saying. So basically what he's saying is a woman wants to connect with you. She wants to hear what you're feeling, but she doesn't want to feel like you're in chaos and that you need her to contain what you're feeling, right? Because what that does is it sort of puts her in that mothering role, which is, you know, a masculine energy, but it's like, it sort of, it puts her in the, like, I have to take care of you. I don't feel safe with you. And it's like, you don't have an awareness of what's happening with you. And that feels chaotic to the feminine and unsafe. So she wants a, she wants a window not saran wrap. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's like, I want, I want you to connect with me, but I also want you to have because there's so much about, and this is like some of the primal stuff, like a lot of women have been, and he speaks to this harmed by unsafe masculine energy, right? right? Like you men are masculine and I always struggle because mm -hmm. masculine, but like are stronger than us. Right. So if you're chaotic and if we've been harmed by a chaotic masculine energy, that's like, okay, now I have to, like, you're not aware of yourself. So I got to figure out how to control this. I got to get in my masculine because I'm not safe with you. She can do it, but one, she will feel resentful of the fact that she has to do it, but also it will parentify the dynamic between you because a woman takes care of her child when he's chaotic. She validates the emotions of a child when they're like big. And, and, and so that's the role she will play with you. So he says, basically, you know, your work is to find other spaces to have those emotions validated. You're met. And some of these things are the way we used to be in collectivist societies, why men used to go to the other men to validate what they were feeling. And it's not that we don't want to still be connected with the masculine in our lives, but we also want to have a sense that he has an awareness of himself. He knows what's happening with himself because that feels safe to the feminine. That feels contained. Yeah, there's, there's, um, so my dad uh, was an alcoholic. And so um, he did this, uh, whatever he felt, he showed mm -hmm. uh, and I appreciated his transparency, but he did it to the point where then we had to take care of him, his emotions. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then also he was extreme. So he either um, was, he either acted like he felt like we won the lottery. So just happy, grateful, cloud nine, or the sky was falling. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in debt, panic, what are we going to do? And so all of those emotions, um, he showed without responsibility. So as, you know, as a 10 year old, or, I mean, my brother got the, the, the most of it, but, you know, as my brother, like at age 12, he was already like, my brother was already an adult taking care of my dad um, because my dad wasn't responsible with his emotions. You know, what's interesting, John, about that. I, this is the first time, cause we've obviously, I know this and we've had these conversations, but this is the first time that I've realized that I mean, obviously there's no alcoholism, but my mom shows up emotionally in a very similar way. Yeah. Right. It's one or the other, either it's exuberant, playful. We're having the best time ever. It's so right. fun or right. total chaos. The sky is falling, yep. yelling, right. There's no, there's no hat. There's no gray. It's like one or the other. And so I was raised obviously like it's, it's just interesting to me when we think about the fact that both of us had very similar parents right? Primary parents. Um, and, and kind of what that does, I guess, for you in relationship and, and your ability to contain the other person, um, you're feeling safe or not safe in the containment of the other person. Um, and you and I very early on in our relationships, this is the first time I've made this connection. And in the book, we talk about what we dubbed responsible communication. Hmm. Right. So very early on in our relationship, John and I talked about this idea of like, I'm the one that doesn't speak up about anything. Like if left to my own devices, I will never talk about anything. I will not rock the boat until the boat is just stagnant. Right. 
Um, and we could go into the list of fears and the codependency and all the shit that surrounds that, but like, that's just my go-to and he's the opposite. He will over-communicate, right? Like he has said, I mean, John, I'm telling your story for you, but like you've said before, like, you know, in previous partners, it was like, you're a lawyer, like you're going to talk and talk and talk and talk until like you make them sit there and listen and like, hear what you're saying. Right. And I'm the opposite. And so in the beginning of our relationship, there was a lot of rub there. And I remember us having so many talks about like, that feels really unsafe to me. Like, I know that I have to come to you more, but you coming to me too much pushes me further away. It doesn't make me want to lean in. And so we need to figure out what that line is. And that line is what you and I called responsible communication, right? Like somewhere in between the not speaking up and the verbal vomiting. But what I love so much, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> but what I love so much about what you just articulated is again, it brings it back to these energetics because when yeah. we're in our more wounded spaces, the defense mechanisms we've developed, the you go to a place that would be your wounded linear energy, your wounded masculine, and you sort of like shut down, you cut off, you're like, I can't, you know, I'm not going to be here with you. I, I withdraw. And John sort of goes into the wounded circular or wounded feminine. And it's sort of like, I'm going to like grasp. I'm going to like say all the things I'm going to like, see what you'll take. And so it's like the, the answer becomes for each of you to go to that diagonal energy, um, which you instinctually did. Right. But I think it's just fascinating that like the way that we have responded to the wounded parts of ourselves, those energetics are present. Yeah. And then on top of that, if you don't listen to my emotional vomit, then you don't love me. Mm. So that's a message I got from my, my dad is, um, well, then you don't love me. And then not only do you not love me, but I, we came to America for you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we, we sacrificed, you know, we came, we came here. For, so then there's the, the guilt trip too. But um, I think in my twenties, uh, because of the, you know, just a generational transmission process, I feel like the residue there was, um, heavy on me, like plaque. I, mm-hmm. I always vomited on the people that I was with, uh, my girlfriends. And if they didn't, if they didn't come with me into the emotional, you know, tumble, then they didn't love me. And mm-hmm. so I define love as if I go down, you go down with me. If you go down, I'll go down with you, right? So mm-hmm. there's also something kind of romantic about that because it's portrayed in movies. Yeah, it's um, but it's also very is totally unhealthy. romanticized, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's um, and you know, then you could also tie that to you know a dig, uh, addict, Al-Anon, you know, again, you know. Well, so the okay, map, so again, sticky, going, no going back to like you had a we had similar kind of you know parental energies. So my whole life one of the things I've been told numerous times by my mom is because I do go to the place of shutdown, right? So when mm-hmm. she gets big, I go quiet, stoic, solid, you know, non-emotional. I've been told so many times in my life that like, you know, I'm cold, like, oh, you're cold, you're unfeeling, right. you know, right. because she wants me to meet her in that place. So she, so my brother and her go there together. So when she gets right. worked up, he go, he gets worked up with her. And I think that's why she, like her and my brother are so close because I think she thinks that's love kind of like your dad. Whereas like, as my defense, when she goes up, I go down and to her, that means I don't love her because I'm not meeting her at that level 10. Now I obviously well, do that for my own self-preservation, but to, it translates to her as like, I don't love her. Yeah. So now we're also talking about sibling position because you're the eldest, I'm the youngest. And so you would be more compared to my brother. Yeah. He shuts down. He steps up. He's got to take care of that space. Someone's got to, someone's got to hold the fort down. Right. Yeah. And I was, you know, um, playing in the fort, he was holding it. So. Yeah. So your brother, you know, also being younger than the baby, he also got to play in the fort. You were holding it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway. I, don't know. I think this topic is fascinating and I think it, it can be what, what Danae, I think what Danae has taught me is that it can really actually be a part of every conversation we have, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not the only conversation, but essentially in any conversation in a dynamic in a couple or in a friend or whatever, it can be a part of, and should be a part of the conversation. Um, and I have found in when I use it as one of the tools or one of the lenses I look through, it's been really helpful for me, not just in my relationship with you, John, but also in how I show up with couples, right. And to support them. 
Yeah. The only thing I've taken away from this conversation is I need to collect more coins. There are, there's more credit that I, I, need, I got badges. I got, I've earned some badges that I I'm not aware of. Um, no, I actually think this is a, a great conversation and, um, what can we leave people with? Because, um, although this is a great conversation, it's a little abstract. It's a little out there. It can be for many, right. It, um, especially if they're not used to this kind of language. Um, what's, what, what can people start doing uh, practical things where they could uh, connect more with uh, both feminine and masculine and, you know, play around with that dance? Yeah. I, you know, I think so often it's, it's about personal responsibility for me and a lot of whatever relationship, whether it's the friendship, the partner, the parent, it's like, how can I a little bit start to lean into giving myself what I am hungry for this other person to be giving me, balancing out some of what is um, like the wound that is alive here within me. And then it's the space of, you know, and this is the thing that I constantly come back to. It's like, how do I fill my cup up so that my cup is running over and I'm able to love that person from a present place versus attempting to fill my cup with someone else and change this person and mold them into who I need to be. So it's really about like, how can I take 100% responsibility for just tuning in to what's happening for me? Yeah, I mean, I hear you saying um, parenting yourself. It's mm -hmm. reparenting work. To me, like yeah. the lens through which I see these masculine and feminine dynamics, it's a little like balancing myself out with my own reparenting work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's what you say about like, you know, and this is obviously some of the work we do too around like codependency and interdependency. It's like, it's so much of this is our expectation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or like you say, Danae, it's like, we go into relationships thinking they're very transactional. It's like this expectation that the other person should do this thing for me or should soothe this thing in me or should validate this thing in me. And it's like, no, actually, bottom line is you are actually only responsible for soothing and validating that thing in you. And if you can read, this is the reparenting work. If you can figure out and everybody's different, everybody's toolbox is going to look different. You figure out what those kind of self-soothing, self-validating techniques are. What's going to happen is you're going to naturally make the other person feel safer because you're not going to be in that wounded kind of needing energy. And so then what's going to happen is they're going to lean in. Mm. It, it just happens. Like you keep saying, it's like, this stuff is so within us that if you take your hundred percent and you do that work of reparenting and self-soothing and self-validating naturally, the other person is going to want to lean in more, um, and just add to your cup, which is already yeah. full. It's instinctual. It's like, yeah. if I don't believe that I'm operating from a deficit then I'm actually able to see my partner. Just like John saw you in some of those moments that you were saying, like, ah, uh, like he just sort of like snapped into something that was like so containing and healing for me. It was because he wasn't like, oh, Vanessa's not worried about my needs right now, right? Like she's not meeting my needs. He was like present with his partner. And if we can do that a little bit more for ourselves, I find we're just able to actually be present in seeing the person who's in front of us. So uh, Marty Bowen, a family systems um, guy, talks about raising your differentiation of self, and that's how you uh, break triangles and family dynamics and stuff like that. And uh, I really resonated with his uh, pseudo over solid. I'm so much that I wrote a book and got tattoos. And I wonder if the pseudo self is the wounded and the mm -hmm. solid self is more of the healthy, healthy or yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, thank you for listening. Danae, thank you for hanging out. We will have many more conversations. And um, yeah, just thank you for um, creating this dialogue, not only with us, but um, on social media, podcasts, and also with your clients. Where can we find you? Um, I'm Danae.Logan on Instagram. Vanessa and I have a podcast together, Cheaper Than Therapy, and do all kinds of things together. And yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to you guys about something I'm so obsessed with and love talking about so much. I meant where can we find you as in what's your home address? <laughs> Just find me, find me at Vanessa and John's. I'm always there. <laughs> yeah, you're getting a little like, people are getting actually like a little snippet into like Danae and I talking like over brunch because this is literally the shit we nerd out on. 
Yeah, they have their own podcast. Check it out. It's called Cheaper Than Therapy, and uh, they also have a PO box. So <laughs> send send your stuff there. <laughs> All the gifts. Thank you for listening. Be well. Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordeaux, Lumia Coach Training. And it's amazing. It's 100% live and online, meaningful, evidence-based education, real people, real community, ICF accredited to with 20 diverse instructors in a thriving alumni community. Go to theangrytherapist.com and click on Become a Coach and explore Lumia Coach Training. I'll see you in class.